There is a theme in today's service, in today's reading, in today's examination. It has to do with, of course, Christ the solid rock, but also deals in our place in the kingdom of God as good stewards of what the Lord has left for us. I think of the song that opened up this morning, I Go to the Rock. Probably one of my favorite songs written by one Dottie Rambo. And the words to that song says, I'm going to the rock of my salvation. I go to the stone that the builder rejected. I run to the mountain and the mountain stands by me. The world all around me is sinking sand. Somebody say amen. But on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Somebody say a louder amen. amen. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to the rock. And what a great reminder that is of the solidarity and the refuge that we have in a perfect Savior. Where we are imperfect and where we are wayward and we are lacking, our Savior is not. And I hope that you're here today looking for hope. I hope you are here today to take refuge in Jesus. I hope you are here today to give Him your attention and your worship and your adoration. Now let me tell you something. Singing it as well with my soul, with the congregation singing back. If that doesn't do anything for you, let me advise you to check your spiritual pulse this morning. There are so many ideas and falsehoods in the world today that are battling right now for your affection. When I would submit to you, as you well know, that our affections must be turned to Christ They're on the battlefield right now fighting for your attention, fighting for your affection, fighting for you to pay more attention to them than they are of Christ. So we must stand upon the solid rock of Jesus our Lord. And speaking of standing, I'll ask you if you will, again, let's stand as we read the word of the Lord. Let's stand together. These 17 verses that are from Mark chapter 12, these 17 verses and the title of the sermon being The Last Son and the Vineyard, by the end of the service, I want to challenge you with the question. Listen carefully. Here's the question. Are we, are you attentive stewards or are we wayward landlords? Keep that in mind as we travel through the text together. Beginning chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, And he began, Jesus began to speak to them in parables. He said, A man planted a vineyard. He put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press. And he built a tower. And he leased it to its tenants and went into another country. And when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some fruit of the vineyard. And he took them, they took him and they beat him and they sent him away empty-handed. 
Again he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and to him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had another, and this was his beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, This, or they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and, ki and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Well, he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to another. Have you not read the scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This is what the Lord's doing, and it is a marvelous work in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. And some they sent to him, the, uh, some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians, to trap him in his talk. And they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are true, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. But truly, you teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one and, they, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's, and they marveled at him. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word, and that reading to our heart and mind for application and understanding. You may be seated. Now in those 17 verses, there are obviously two portions of Mark's discourse here. Mark is setting up a picture, as we know, that Jesus is on his way to Calvary, which we are so thankful and worshipful for this morning that our Savior died on the cross and rose again. But Mark is painting a beautiful picture as the Holy Spirit is leading him to write. We find that there is a parable that is given by Jesus, and most famously this is called the parable of the tenants. And in this parable, there's a, there's a parallel or a parable even of barren tenants. These are tenants who are not bearing any fruit at all. So let's read and let's find out who these tenants are and examine ourselves to ask that question yet again. Are we faithful and fruitful stewards, or have we become wayward landlords? Jesus has come back from Jerusalem. And right off the bat, the chief priests jump on him, and they begin to question his authority. If you remember in chapter 11, the very end of that, they begin to question the authority of Jesus. It became a question of authority of the chief priest or that of Jesus. Who has more authority here? And, there, and by the way, this is nothing new on the landscape of, of history. This is nothing new. For centuries, people have been challenging the exclusivity of Jesus Christ alone for salvation. It is Jesus alone 
It is only under His name in which men might be saved. And as the centuries have passed, people have challenged this foundational truth with Jesus spoke of Himself in John 14 and verse 6. Most famously, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And I do not know how you can get anything out of that other than what it says. So some people would say that Jesus was a great teacher. He was a famous teacher. He, he, uh, he, he was loving and that all he was. But he also said this of himself, I am the only way. And so the Lord is challenged on his authority to run out the money changers and those who had attempted to transform the house of prayer into a, a den of thieves or robbers. Remember back in chapter 11 when Jesus approached a fig tree with his disciples? You remember that? And you remember when Jesus used this barren fig tree to illustrate fruitless Israel? Remember that? He is about to expound again a harsh reality, a very similar reality. And in this parable, Jesus will demonstrate a few things. He will demonstrate that he himself is the only hope for Israel. In fact, he is the only hope for humanity. Because Israel has become barren and fruitless, they will in no way be able to lead humanity to know the one true God. And so in a way, Jesus becomes the Israel. Where Israel fell, now Jesus becomes that light bearer to the nations. Now before we look into this parable, it should all, I, would, I would count it short-sighted if I did not read from the Song of the Vineyard. Now, the Song of the Vineyard is encapsulated in Isaiah chapter 5 in at least the first four verses. This is the parallel that I believe enriches Mark's gospel account of the barren tenants. And I believe the Lord Jesus is borrowing from the Song of the Vineyard. Mark's gospel account of the barren tenants borrows from the Song of the Vineyard. From the Song of the Vineyard, hear these words from the prophet Isaiah Chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and he cleared it of stones. And he planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. And he hewn out a, a wine vat in it, a wine press. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now the warning. Now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done with it? God is merciful to his people. Amen. When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it? Yield wild grapes. When I look for my people to yield fruit, why are they not bearing fruit for the kingdom? Now that we have heard from the song 
of the vineyard, and we have heard of the fruitless vineyard. Let us hear from Mark. Mark says, as he began to speak in this parable, a man planted a vineyard. He put a fence around it. He dug a pit, a wine press, and he built a tower, and he leased it to the tenants and went into another country. The season came. He sent a servant to the tenants to find fruit. Well, instead of finding fruit, they beat him and they sent him away empty-handed, fruitless. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head. They treated him shamefully. He sent another and they killed him. And with so many others, they beat and some they killed. Now, this parable and the song of the vineyard spans the history of the Hebrew people. It spans the history of the prophets. And it finds itself now in the time of the Messiah. It is God who owns the vineyard. It is God who planted the vineyard to bear fruit. It is God who planted the church. It is God who planted the church to bear fruit. It is God who owns the building. It is God who owns the people. It is God who wants our praise and our adoration. It is God that longs for us to draw close to Him. Is it not? So He planted His people to bear fruit so that the nations might worship the one true God. So we know that He protected them. He hedged them from the enemy. He kept them from being destroyed by the enemy. The wine press was to produce juice from the grapes and shelter and a tower to look out for wild beasts. And by the way, the wall was built around the vineyard not to keep out people, but to keep out wild beasts. Think about that in comparison to the temple where people should have been able to come and worship God freely without somebody changing money or looking to rip them off, right? The tower was built, the wall was built to keep out wild beasts. And the point is this, God is the owner and Israel is the tenant. Christ is our Savior and we are His church. God raises people to tend. He raises people to be stewards of His work. As much as we are ambassadors for Christ, we are also tenants of the kingdom work. So we ought to be producing some sort of fruit. We ought to be able to offer something to the Lord and, and say, Lord, I don't have much, but what I do have, I consecrate to you. Some fruit to offer. In the song of the vineyard, Israel lays, is, is, is laid upon them by Isaiah a scathing accusation upon fruitlessness or, or, or barren Israel. And Jesus is doing the same. These, these are the ones who honestly, they should be bringing people closer to, to Yahweh, the one true God, instead of... Drift, making them drift further away from the one true God. In fact, if we were to parallel to, this, to the church age, when we would say we live in this day where Christ rules and reigns in the hearts of His believers, we ought to be drawing people closer to God and not away from. 
We should be bringing people closer to the Lord, right? Not to a place of complacency or apathy. Let's say, well, I don't care if I ever come back and sit in the sanctuary again. Now, I know that there are some folks who cannot be here today because of illness. And for them, we are glad that we're able to broadcast live. We are able, right, to do that. But there comes a time when we need to get up off of the couch, off of the chair, and come and join the people of God and sing and serve together. I can't serve, the, I can't serve God from my living room. I hope this doesn't offend you watching today. I hope you'll come back and join us again or come join us here. We would love to hear your voice sing, It is well with my soul. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Maybe that's a challenge for you today. We need to be bearing fruit for the kingdom, right? In fact, we ought to be giving the tools of God's people to bring folks out of those places of complacency and out of those places of apathy. And by the way, we can pray for those folks and, and give them a word of encouragement. But at the end of the day, it is the Holy Spirit of God that will deal with them. So are we attentive tenants? Over the years, God has sent his people to the tenants to find some fruit. Sometimes Israel would have fruit. Sometimes they would not. We are very similar in that way. Sometimes the church bears fruit and we worship God and we praise Him for when we see it. But other times we are not bearing fruit. Instead of finding a bounty of fruit, they were met with hatred and opposition. The people of the Lord, God had sent them to the vineyard over and over and over the years. He sent his prophets and his preachers to find fruit. He called them out on their hypocrisy. There was a time in history where a preacher would come to town and they would hear the word and preach, thus saith the Lord, and would not waver against that teaching. And they hated them for it. And they would beat them and they would send them away without bearing any fruit. And they cut off one, John the baptizer's head. I mean, he preached uh, right, at, he told them like it was, right? He preached against their idolatry and their adultery. He preached against Israel being false prophets. He preached against, against them being self-righteous. And they beheaded him. The history of the prophets of the Lord is saturated with their blood. So just take two of the prophets. Two of the prophets, just two. Let's say Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, who they humiliated, who they ridiculed. Just think of another, Isaiah. Isaiah is another prophet who, as tradition goes, was sawn asunder by one King Manasseh, who was the king of Judah for 14 years. Now, don't try to encapsulate that image in your mind of a prophet being sawn in two. As the Bible says, some they beat, some they killed. 
But verse 6 says, they had one more, another, a beloved son. They sent, he sent him the son. They will respect my son, it says. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. It will all be ours. They took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. And what will the owner, God, do with the vineyard? He will come and he will destroy the vineyard and he will give to others. Have you not read the scripture, the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone? Christ alone cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in, us, in our eyes that he is the cornerstone. Now surely this last son they would respect. The barren tenants would take him and would kill him like a common criminal or someone that they would consider to be unclean or unworthy. The people who should have embraced the coming son, who should have embraced the long-awaited anointed one, the long-awaited Messiah, the, one who, the ones who should have embraced him, sought to persecute and kill him. And not only that, but would kill and persecute anyone who followed him. Then Jesus uses the psalm as a reference to illustrate the point. Psalm 118 verse 22 says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. A direct quote that Jesus uses from Psalm 118 verse 22 and 23. He is the cornerstone. And as I said in the beginning, he owns the building. He doesn't just own the corner of the building. He owns all of it. It is his church. And he has put us here to work until he returns. See, the Lord gives this parable without ever giving the explanation. Why? Because they knew that he was speaking about them. In fact, their anger became intensified and they were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. And so they left him. Sometimes people get mad when somebody preaches on sin or whatever it might be because they themselves are convicted. And by the way, if anything I preach here this morning, you say, hey, he must know something about me. Eh, I do nothing about your situation. <laughs> it's the Lord speaking to you through his word and through his spirit. You know, for a while there, we had gone through a drought, didn't we? And I walked in my front yard and I could hear my weeds crunching under my feet. It was so dry. You remember that? And we fervently prayed, Lord, bring rain. Our farmers were praying, Lord, bring us, bring us some rain. And we prayed for rain and the Lord answered with abundance. But the thought crossed my mind. When we're talking about the vineyard and bearing fruit and tending and being good tenants, what would happen if the farmers were to plant the seeds in the ground and never come back to tend it. There would be weeds and there would be thorns and there would be animals that would come and would strip the fruit from the plant. 
So it is our desire, it is our drive, it is our goal, it is our destination to tend to what Christ has faithfully given to us as stewards. If he has called, if he's called you with a missional mind, serve him there. If he has called you with the gift of encouragement, serve him there. If he has called you with the gift of hospitality, serve him there. Whatever the Lord has gifted you with, serve him there. See, when the Lord planted the vineyard, he provided a way to sustain it. And he will never leave it and he will never forsake it. As long as this place is filled with regenerate, saved people, God will never abandon his church. God will never leave us to sink or swim. God will never abandon us. He will never forsake, forsake us. See, Israel uh, like, is, is the vineyard. But see, God had turned, they had turned their back on the one true God. And so God, in return, must judge. When Christ planted his church, I've got to tell you, he walks in the midst of her. On the Isle of Patmos, John, the revelator, John saw this great vision. I know some of our Sunday school classes have been working through the book of Revelation. On the Isle of Patmos, John, in a vision, he saw this of our Lord. This is a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ who is close to his church and he is close to you if you know him. Revelation 1 verse 12 says, And I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And as I turned, I saw seven golden lampsticks. And in the midst of the lampsticks was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. You want to know what faithful tenants look like? When Christ is walking in the midst, you want to know what a faithful church, faithful tenants look like? When people are walking with Christ and, walk, and Christ is walking in the midst of them, tenants of the church, stewards of, the, of what Christ has left, will be a joyful people, will be a happy people, will be a people who is flourishing and healthy, will be people who are gracious and not cutthroat. We'll be gracious to one another. As we work through different areas of our life and different struggles, we will be a gracious people. We will be a missional people when Christ is walking in the midst of his church. And we will be a faithful one as well. The Lord Jesus does not leave his people on their own, but he gives her the tools to supply the good news to the ends of the earth. And we know that Christ has foreknowledge of the soon coming events. And yet the wonderful thing about all that we see in this parable is that he would press on in his march toward Calvary's tree and die on the cross he stayed the course, and I challenge you to do the same. Stay the course. Now, here are people who have rejected Christ, and by rejecting Christ, one rejects all hope. Now, I would imagine that some in here today have friends, family members, co-workers who do not know the Lord Jesus. 
And I do not know how often you share your faith with them. I do not know. When was the last time you shared your faith altogether with anyone? But every time you share your faith with a person in Jesus, and that is rejected, one is rejecting all hope. There is no sin more common or more malicious, even in what we would consider to be pre people who follow Christ, than an inappropriate reception of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Rejecting Christ is rejecting all hope. Are we tending to what Christ has left us fervently, or have we grown cold? May we say that we have not rejected Christ, the cornerstone of the church? We would say, no, I have not rejected the cornerstone. He is my life. Why do we say that we follow the cornerstone? He is the cornerstone of my life. He is the foundation of my life. But then we act contrary to that. Are we attentive stewards or wayward landlords? Then in verse 13, we find that Jesus is offered this coin to look on the inscription thereon. And I would challenge you in this next section or this next narrative that Mark demonstrates to his readers or worshipers, his hearers, to be an influencer with the good news. Now how does this section inform us or challenge us to be influencers with the good news? Now that is a buzzword today. Social media is full of people who are influencers, and it is all over social media. Are you an influencer? And sometimes people use their influence, sometimes to do some nefarious things in the world. Sometimes people use their influence to do some good things in the world. The way that we become influencers with the good news is to live peaceably with those around us. And how does this happen? Well, the words of Jesus will help us. They sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. Some folks loyal to Herod. And they came and they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Apparently, Mark thought it was necessary or appropriate to couple the two narratives together, uh, of, at least of the tempting of Jesus. And as the Lord is being tried and tested by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the self-righteous, He proves Himself to be the only begotten Son that we read about, sent to fulfill a long-awaited pro prophecy. I want you to note the sarcasm in the tone as they say... We know that you don't care about anyone's opinion, yeah, particularly theirs. Should we pay taxes or not? And this particular tax was known as a census tax. It was imposed upon all citizens, and all citizens had to pay it, Jew and Gentile alike, and the Hebrews hated this tax. Why? Because the inscription on the coin, amongst many other things, it was burdensome, and to pay taxes with a coin that had an inscription of Caesar, who considered himself to be one to be worshipped, was a problem for a person that said, Thou shalt have no other gods or idols. It's an issue. 
Here is where it becomes the catch-22 or a predicament for our Lord Jesus. If he answers in favor of the payment and says, yes, we pay, then he will lose the popularity that he gained with the people. And if he says not to pay the tax, then he would be arrested by the Romans because of insurrection. And the way that Jesus answers this is just pure genius. I mean, he is the Logos. He is God. We should expect nothing less. But he says, as he knew their hypocrisy, he knew their heart. He judged them. He knew their heart. He knew their hypocrisy. He said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a Daenerys and let me look at it. And they brought him one and he said, whose likeness in the inscription is this? And he knows the inscription. They said to him, Caesar. Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And by the way, it all belongs to God. The money, the kingdom, the earth, the temple, the ground, whatever. It all belongs to him. And because of his answer, the Bible says, they marveled at him. He already knew their deep-seated hypocrisy. Why test me? And they marveled at the response, for they thought for sure that he would respond in a revolutionary way by saying, do not pay the tax. Maybe that's why they marveled so. The predicament that Jesus was in was no predicament to him. He goes on to make a prediction. Remember when the Bible just previously said that he would be the cornerstone that would be rejected? Reading from Psalm. He begins to make this illustration. See, they attempted to trip Jesus yet again so they might destroy his reputation. And they use such a small thing as a Daenerys to do that, which actually, if you were to take 10 pieces of, of the coin, a Daenerys today, if you were to take 10 pieces of that coin today, and if you were to look at the market value of those coins today, it would be around $3.62 based on the amount of silver that might have been uh, within it. And so if it would have been doubled, it would have been have 20 pieces to that. But see, the, the answer that Jesus gives would be the same, whether it was 10, 20, 30, a million dollars, whatever it might be, the answer that Jesus gives would be the same. And the reason for their shock is they expected Jesus to say, withhold payment of taxes. And so the Lord acknowledges the payment, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, of what one owes. In fact, he would imply and demonstrate that people are obligated to their leaders and government to pay what they owe. Now, by raise of hand, who in here loves taxes? <laughs> but there is an obligation to pay them. There is an obligation to pay, said taxes. Pay what you owe. And this is the truth that Jesus is laying forth before them. And they did not expect that. This is a truth uh, that the Apostle Paul will later expound upon in Romans 13, verse 1. That says, let every person be subject to their governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been given and been instituted by God. Now, there are some politicians today that are ruling and reigning that we probably don't like all their policies. 
But for whatever reason, by God's sovereignty, they are there for a reason. We don't like it, but for whatever purpose, they are fulfilling a purpose. The reason that we try to live peacefully, this is what Jesus is teaching. The reason, this is what Paul's teaching. The reason we try our best to live peaceably with those around us, government and all, and to be fruitful in the kingdom is so that we may have the peaceful platform to share of Christ's wonderful work. Now that doesn't mean compromise. That doesn't mean compromise your convictions. Why should I tolerate those things that I do not agree with politically? And there are many. So that I can have a peaceful avenue to share Christ's work of salvation. Now, when we understand that God puts kings and rulers in a place for His purpose, even though we haven't figured it out, we have no issue falling under their authority. It is only when, hear me on this now, it is only when those leaders infringe upon biblical truth and lean towards sin that we must oppose. So policy, procedure, governmental procedure, whatever it might be, when it infringes upon biblical conviction, then we oppose. That is why every born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ should stand in unison and solidarity against the taking of an innocent life. Protect the child in the womb. There are policies that we, I believe, must oppose when they lean towards sin. There are things in this country today that I do not like or I enjoy. And I would say in, in maybe a short comparison, maybe, maybe this morning you're having a hard time putting your finger on the pulse of the world today. What in the world is wrong? Well, first it's sin. It's fallenness. But beyond that, if I was to look at this country today, this world today, if I was to look at the world that we live in, and I would look at it and I would say that the world sees common sense issues and said, let's go the other way. So you and I have to bear fruit in the kingdom and be a light and lift up truth. In fact, Proverbs 14 verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in its, in its end is the way to death and destruction. See, it's obvious, unfruitful, barren Israel was represented in and through these religious leaders, the self-righteous church folk of the day. And the song of the vineyard and the parable of the tenants are reminders that, that God has put us in place now. Christ has put us into place, His people, with a very important work. You know that you as a Christ follower have a very important work today. You have a very important work today. Maybe for you it is telling your neighbor that Jesus loves them. Maybe for you today, it's working with your hands. 
Maybe for you today it might be something like that to where you are working with your hands and telling people about Christ. But Christ has a very important work for you today. If you are a child of God, you will bear fruit for the kingdom. Some might be little, some might be vast, but we have a work to do. He has left us with a very important work to tell people of His majesty and that He is returning again. As people in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the question that I leave you with that is still potent, are we attentive tenants or stewards in the kingdom of God or have we become negligent landlords? Would you pray with me?